Good morning, Grandview. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word this morning that you are going to teach us. May we be receptive to your Holy Spirit as he brings truth to bear in our lives. Give me wisdom and grace and a huge measure of love as I present this morning. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> there is a mimic in the house. There's a mimic in the house. It's been so fun to get to know our grandchildren. And as they have been growing up, I have been watching this process of the younger mimicking the older. First as a learning process, but later as a way of getting under each other's skin. I remember sitting around the table with them and one of them would say, they're looking at me or they're eating the same thing I am and, and they are just undone as they see that. And I, I remember growing up how that worked in my own family. My, my brother would imitate me and it drove me crazy. He, he would do what I would do. He would say the things I would say. Uh, I, it, but it's, the reality is, it is hard not to follow the example of someone else, someone you look up to, or someone with more experience. But I've noticed this even more so as a parent. My children, as they were growing up, would watch me. No, let me, let me clarify. They would study me and my wife. And they would eventually, I would notice some of my mannerisms, my habits would become more and more evident in my kids. The reality is the model of parents is very powerful in the lives of children. Both models that are positive and healthy, but also to our shame, there are models that are very negative and unhealthy. And we don't fully understand how much we set up our children for future success or future failure. Because models and imitation is at the heart of discipleship. We learn so much from other believers. We see Christ's likeness lived out in someone else that's a little further along in their walk with Christ. And we say, that is so beautiful. I would like to do that as well. Well, we're going to talk about mimicking today. The problem is, is that one of the problems of our day is that our models are under attack and our models are failing left and right. The world is in the midst of a moral tailspin. Now, what's the background of the passage we're going to look at today? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. What's the background of the passage? Starting in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, we saw the words, walk worthy. Walk worthy. Paul is saying... Our Christian lifestyle should be growing into who God says we are. 
And, and Paul took chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians to lay that groundwork so that we understand all that we are in Christ. And in this case, to the, the Ephesians, these believers who had come to Christ while living in a wicked port city named Ephesus, the dominant worship was to a multi-breasted goddess named Diana. Ritual prostitution, sexual perversion was culturally accepted and often exalted as a way of life, and that's what these believers have been called out of. What about today? Today, we live in the midst of a society also in moral decay. Now, morality still exists, but it is under attack, and our institutions have been infiltrated by the enemy. Moral problems surround us. Racism, violence, theft, sexual sins, abortion. And the list can go on. We turn on television only to be fed a diet of adultery, promiscuity, deviant sexuality, deceit, and violence. It's normative. Our actors and our rock stars have become our models. And we, as believers in Christ, buy right into this culture. We often don't realize our slippage. We often don't realize the compromise that we have made with truth. I don't even want to suggest it is my conviction that renewal must first start with the church before society can be reformed. Here's where we find ourselves today. So how is this going to happen? We're, this is going to happen as we live out the passage before us. So turn with to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In these first two verses, Paul's first point is to be imitators of our father, to mimic our dad. We are to act like, that's what the word mimic means. Imitate means to act like someone else. And Paul says we are to act like God. That is just almost inconceivable. I'm not God. I'm not even near like God. But Paul said, here is what you are to do. And the word be imitators is more like keep becoming like God. And what he is saying here in the tense of the Greek, it's a process. And we are to imitate God because it says, as beloved children, we're to do this because we are God's children, and children imitate 
parents. Just a side note here. Why do we send children above second grade back into the sanctuary for Sunday morning worship? Because that's where their parents are. Parents, you are a model to your children. They are watching you pray. They are watching you sing praises. They're watching you be attentive and study the word of God. And you are a strong model for them of how to worship and follow hard after God. They're watching you. You are their model. Imitate our father. Secondly, he says in verse 2, walk in love. We're to imitate God by walking in love. Now, this love that he talks about, it's not romantic. This is self-sacrificing love. This is the greatest standard of selfless love that the world has ever known. It's Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This self-sacrificing love is now our standard. And he says, walk in love. Walk in love. We are to imitate God. It's a step-by-step process for us. Taking one step at a time. And as we do this, we're asking ourselves, is this next step the most loving thing I can do for, one in, for another person, no matter what the cost? This must be operational at every step I take as I walk in love. Secondly, he says in in the rest of this passage this morning, in verses 3 through 14, we are to imitate our Father by walking in the light. And he starts in verses 3 through 6 by saying, abstain from evil. Let's look at the passage together. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Abstain from evil. Verse 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, This type of conduct is self-centered, self-indulgent. 
self-serving. And these words, sexual immorality, talks about sexual promiscuity, sex outside of a marriage relationship, impurity, things that pollute us, covetousness or greed, some translation use, lust for more. And in this context, it is greed for someone else's body. Paul says such sins are unthinkable for a child of God. This should have no place in the Christian life because it shows a selfish, unconcern for others, and the Holy Spirit will not tolerate such immorality. In verse 4, he moves from conduct to conversation. He talks about filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. These words are morally corrupt. Matter of fact, foolish talk could be translated stupid words, moronic words. Instead, Paul said, our conversation should be one of thanksgiving to God. When I am thankful to God, I am conscious of God's blessings. And I recognize that God alone deserves my allegiance and he is the one that orders my life. I should watch my conduct and my conversation. In verse five, he says, you may be sure of this. And what he is saying basically in this one verse is, sin has consequences. You reap what you sow. These practices betray an unregenerate heart. Why? Because we cannot truly believe in Jesus and still live a worldly life. Why? Because as God converts me, has made me spiritually alive, I now have a life that desires to please my Father in heaven. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. What are those empty words? It really doesn't matter how you live. These are no truth sort of words. They're empty. Because... We need to understand God's view of sin should not be taken lightly. It must be taken seriously because he does not view sin lightly. He judges a blatantly sinful lifestyle. Therefore, abstain from evil. As we learned earlier, put off, take off, put away. And we have a choice to make every day, every hour, sometimes moment by moment. Will I follow darkness or will I follow the light? What will I do? 
In verses 7 through 14, he's now going to talk about the relationship of Christians living among the disobedient. How should we respond? What should we do? Because this is where each one of us live. God's children live in a fallen world. And sometimes we forget that. And can I suggest this morning that the order that Paul puts it in this passage is so important. He first says, remember, walk in love. Secondly, he will say, walk in the light. If I live and walk in love without light, I'm in a feel-good world. If I walk in light without love, I become judgmental. I become legalistic. I make people live up to the standard, but not because I care about them, because it's the right thing to do. And Paul is saying, I must live in love, and I must live in light. Let's look at verses 7 through 14 together. Verse 7. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here ends the reading. In verses 7 through 14, there are three commands. The first one is found in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. First command, don't become partners with them. We are clearly and solemnly warned to have no part in such ungodly behavior. To do so, one author says, to do so is to dishonor the name of Christ, to wreck other lives, to ruin one's own testimony, and to invite a torrent of retribution. When he says, do not become partners with them, we must take a stand, a definite stand, against the world system. Because the world system is constantly going to be pulling us into their sphere of influence. That's verse 7. Verses 8 to 10 contains the second command. And the second command is found in verse 8. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. In verse 8, there's a radical statement. Before Christ, notice, for at one time you were darkness. It does not say we walked in darkness. 
We were darkness. And now, since conversion, since Christ has made us alive, we are now light in the Lord. It doesn't say we're walking in the light. We are light. And we see in that very simple statement, this battle between two kingdoms, darkness and light. And it says in verse 8, this command, walk as children of light. Why the command? Because it is possible for children of light, now think about this, it is possible for children of light not to live as children of light. We try and we compromise. We, we learn how to live in the shadows where light and dark blends one with the other. And we want, we want to live like Christ, but the pull of the darkness of our, of our former life calls us back. And we learn how to live in the shadows of life. See, our conduct should flow from our new nature, flowing with good and right and true. And notice in verse 10, our life's ambition should be to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, to discern, to find out to, to try to understand what the Lord, which he is our master, what he wants me to do, what will please him. But so often, we're, we're taking wind direction, we're taking surveys, we're trying to understand what are the people around me doing? What is acceptable to them? Get rid of that. Learn. Figure out what will please the Lord in the days to come with both your conduct and your conversation. The third command is found in verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 is the command, take no part, take no part, but expose them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Expose them. See, light exposes as we take a loving, positive stand for purity. As we stand for purity in love, light exposes darkness. In verse 12, it is shameful even to think, speak of the things that they do in secret. Here's the reality. Night has no shame. We look to darkness to cover the sin in our life. And in verse 13, as the light is turned on, it exposes and, and darkness flees. A number of years ago, we were traveling with our small children and we had to spend the night in a southern motel, the last room they had left. And it was late at night. And as I got to the door and unlocked the door and I turned on the light, 
the walls moved. I'm, I was a Yankee. I didn't never understand that. I'll tell you right now, we slept with the lights on all night because of what we saw. In verse 14, it says, Arise, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is saying, wake up. Rise from the deadness of your former unsaved lifestyles. What is he saying? Move out of the shadows. Move out of the shadows and into the light. That's where God wants us. Living in the light. Walking in the light. Walking in love. What does this mean for us today? Some, some that are listening to this have slipped into a dangerous condition by learning more and more how to live in the shadows, how to live not in the bright light of his purity, but not living in the darkness of abject sin. Can I say this is not who you are as a child of the Heavenly Father. Would you decide today, would you decide now to put off this dark way by agreeing with God it is sin and, and repenting of those choices that you've made in the past to get you to this place? Would you choose now to live in the light and to move out of the shadows? Secondly, some of you are living in the light, but with little love. You have become judgmental. You've imposed God's rules on everyone else. And your life is pure, but devoid of compassion and concern for others. Repent of your lack of love. Choose to love as Christ loved, self-sacrificing supernaturally as God sent him into the world and sent his son to die for us. He paid the ultimate sacrifice to give us a model of what it looks like for us to love others. Why do we need to apply this? For God to use a church to expose darkness, we first must love people as God does. So you see, God looked past their sin to see their worth and then provided a remedy, a savior to deal with their sin, with our sin. And he died in our place. Once we love as God loves, then we can let light do its work of exposing darkness. Walk worthy by mimicking God. Learn to be more like him. Follow his lead. Do what he does. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for your love for us that did so much because of pure grace, 
You could have frozen us where we were, sinners, defiled by sin. But your love made a plan to save us. Father, continue to use this church and others like us to show your love and expose the darkness. And may we learn to keep those two in balance as we work with people who are just like us. Thank you, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.